Well, let's just jump into our journey today through Joshua. What would you guys say if, if somebody came up to you and asked you like the question, uh, this kind of important question, like, how do I live a good life? If somebody, I just want, I've seen you around, you look like you got this thing together, I'm just trying to, to live a meaningful life, could you tell me how to do that? How would you answer that question? Would you say, you know what, I, I think you should just hey, do what makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy, just find that, do that. Would you, would you say something like, hey, just follow your heart. Follow your heart wherever it leads you, and, and that will be what you find that good life in. Maybe you boil it down to relationships. Like, just have a plethora of deep relationship, and that's where our best life is to be found. Maybe, maybe you just say, well, you need to go to more concerts, or, or you need to go to this place more. But maybe you, you think you have an answer. I, I think the answer to that question is significant and sought after as much as the, the fix for aging. And so I, I want to kind of walk through uh, answering that question, not in a worldly way, but in a scriptural way. There are lots of people that think that there is an all-encompassing viewpoint on how you live a good life. There are many people that think they have the answer. They've wrote books about it. If you would go to Google and search, how do you live a meaningful life? You would see all sorts of different thoughts, equations and formulas that said, if you did this and this and this, then you'll get this and it'll be great and awesome. Your life will never be the same. You'll, you'll see formulas like uh, optimism plus persistence plus passion that's equals good life or you might find a formula that says time plus relationship plus gratitude that's the secret formula for a profound life yet if you look at all of those things all of the answers to that question are so wide-ranging and different it is if somebody is playing a game of darts that they have a handful of darts and they're chucking them at the board and hoping one finds the bullseye we're all trying to find this elusive answer, and we just are throwing things on the board, and hopefully something will stick. Actually, do you know that the self-improvement business is a huge deal? Uh, economists say that, that we as Americans alone spend $10 billion in that industry every year. And so if we're throwing that kind of money at something, at a problem, then it reveals something about us it reveals that there are a whole lot of unsatisfied selves around us. And so here, is there a way? Is there a formula? Is there an equation? Is to find that rich meaning in life? Well, the root of that question is problematic. The root of that question is problematic. To answer that question in the way that we want to answer it, or the world wants to answer it, it would to rightly assume that you and you alone are the sole author of your own life, that, that you are the one that informs all of your days, that ultimately you will lead yourself into goodness and meaning by finding the key that unlocks the potential of your life. One of our values here at this church is and will always be that we, we anchor ourselves into the unchanging truth of God's word. And, and, and if we put ourselves under God's authority in his words, if we read in that scripture, it will not take long for us to realize that although we have effort and responsibility and knowledge to grow in this life, there are things that we are to do that there is an outside force, a God who is sovereign and supreme in power and authority that writes the stories. He is partnered with us. He is our author, though. And we would be better served trying to figure out 
what he wants from us and how he created the world and how he's designed you to live inside of it. And so in a perfect world, this is made known through us through the institution that God has created in the world. God created the family not just because it was a good idea. He created the family because it speaks to his nature. If you were born, you were raised by parents, and I'm not going to get into the, the intricacies of, of how good your parents were. There's a lot of tragic situations. But just because people are faulty on delivering on the design of God doesn't make God's design bad. The design of family is to be there for you and sons and daughters to grow up in a way which you have boundaries that help you live your best life, boundaries that help guide and protect you. I learned this pretty quick in my life. My, my mom ruled our house with an iron fist. I don't know if you had, uh, maybe you're a mom in here, kind of that iron fist. Uh, I, I didn't always appreciate it, but I know that it was for my good. Here's what I knew about the, my goodness and joy in life. It was far often dictated by how well I lived inside the boundaries my parents put up for me. Like the ultimately good meaning in my life, happiness in my life, revolved around me walking within the boundaries that my parents had for me, or you know the story when we get outside of those things. Now, did your parents put those boundaries in there because they wanted to manipulate you or because they were cruel? Maybe you had that circumstance. Maybe that was you, but that, that is not the case. The majority of our parents, you in this room, the majority of parents, they put boundaries, they put things up in our lives because why? They want to guide us. They protect us. They love us as much as they can. As much as we can as parents, we put out that structure knowing that, hey, Billy's got some responsibility in this too. I can only do so much. And so I bring this up to understand, for you to understand this. When we walk out of our families, sometimes we get this idea that we have now become our own sovereign, that I'm now underneath, out of the rule of my parents, my mom and dad, and now I get, I get to determine the, the, the course of my life. Well, do you understand that family was modeled so you would understand God? That you would live in a structure where you could tangibly understand the benefits of living inside of boundaries. This is God communicating his heart to you, that you can experience his desire for you. God has put in our lives boundaries and ways out of the delight of his heart and his concern for you to help you find goodness meaning, and flourishing in life. Flourishing not in a way that you've got material possessions out your wazoo, but flourishing in a way that's internal, that you have contentment and peace and hope that registers inside of you, that you can face whatever circumstance comes to your life. And so God has a good design for us to live a good life, a meaningful life. His design sets us up to thrive. And so all of that to say this, ultimately the question on how we live a meaningful, good life must consider God's design, God's authority, what God has to say about you and us. And so today we're going to look in the first chapter of Joshua again. We were there last week. We're going to come back to it, and we're going to find out that there's not an equation. There's not a formula. Uh, there is not anything in Scripture that says, uh, if you do this and this, then God is going to guarantee you that this is going to happen in your earthly life. If somebody would ever come to you and say, hey, if you did this for God, then God will do this for you in this world, uh, I would say you should be very cautious with that person. 
the, the Lord makes no guarantees in your life that, that he has somehow boiled things down to a math equation that you can punch things in and get what you want readily. There is a mystery about God that is outside of our comprehension. There are promises that he's made to us that he f- will fulfill, but God moves us by his design for his purposes. He writes the story, and we walk along. So if you ever hear somebody in a prosperity gospel say, hey, if you do this, then God will give you this, uh, run. Run away from that. But what we do find in Scripture is a pattern that will position us well for a flourishing and meaning in life, a pattern that speaks to the heart of God, a pattern that will be influential and helpful while we're on this earth, and most definitely one that rewards us in the life that come to come. So let's go ahead and pick up our text today in Joshua 1, and, and we're going to kind of walk through this pattern using this text. And so Joshua 1, 1 through 4 says, says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory." There is a clear desire from the Lord, a clear command from God to Joshua to take his people over the Jordan into the promised land. This is a challenge God has set before Joshua. This is his calling. This is his calling. And God is saying it very clearly. Joshua, do this. Maybe you have had a moment in your life where you wish God was so clear as he is with Joshua, that he would say, you know what? Billy, this is what I have for you. Bill, I want you to do this. Maybe we've hoped that God would speak clearly into our life about calling. But what if I told you that in the most significant way he already has? He already has. I think there can be a lot of confusion around this term calling and what it really means. Many of us spend endless pursuits trying to figure out what has God called me to do? What is God calling me to be? Uh, It's like pursuing a a calling as you pursue the, the hidden package of Oreos in your house that you know your wife has hidden from you, that you can't figure it out it is, but you know where, you know she did it. Like we, we think of calling as this kind of endless pursuit. True story, by the way, in my house. I don't know if it's true in your house. Double stuffed, always. Uh, But this, uh, understand, Scripture says that your life is a vapor. It it is but a breath compared to eternity. Look, God's not in the business of wasting his time watching you for years and years and years go on and try to to find, I'm going to find God's calling in my life. I'm unsure. God has already put a call in your life. Life. And I want to make this clear for everybody in this room. If you are here and in faith in Christ, you have been called. You have been called out of the darkness and into the light. 
What calling is, is the work of God to open the eyes of his people, to see the truth of Christ, the wisdom, the beauty, the marvelousness, the, uh, compelling us to, to find salvation in Christ. Marvelous even a word, nisness. I just, I'll make that up. God's call is a life-giving command to come. To wake you up. If you're a believer today, this is how you got saved. It's the only reason that you know God. It was an effective call, and that call did what it commanded. It is effective like this. How would you wake up somebody who is sleeping in a deep slumber? You would walk up to them and you'd say, Hey, get out of there. Would they understand the command that you gave them? Would they consider it's profound or, or ponder it? Or, or would they just wake up? This is what God has done for you and I of faith. God has raised us from spiritual death into life. He has woken us up from a deep sleep to see the beauty of his grace, the glory of his name, the profound corruption that sin and brokenness has in our life. The reason that we can see that in our life, those of us who have faith, is because God called you upwards out of darkness into life. That is the primary call in your life, is to come to Jesus, to commit to him in pursuit of faith. Jesus says it this way, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That is your most basic calling in life. And we don't need to set that aside to try to find this specific thing. Does God specifically give us instructions on what he wants? Yeah, there are times, but it's never at the cost of, of living out that first call in our life. God, on that journey of, of living out the challenge of your call, is going to put you into places to use your gifts for seasons and moments for his glory. And you can rest assured of that. Just pursue following him. We, we would say it this way, that every person of faith is challenged by God to live out our calling. Every person of faith is challenged by God to live out your calling. You have been called upwards. You have been woken up by the voice of God. Pursue it. Live a life differently. Be changed by the calling. Don't just assume that you've positioned yourself in a way that you've come to understand grace and compassion and mercy and salvation of God by your own. No, God did that. He, he woke you up. In fact, in Ephesians, in chapter, chapter 2, it, it says that, that God, out of his great love for you, he made you alive while you were dead in your sin. And so listen, if God called you, and he has, upwards, then you can take it to the bank that he's going to see it through that he is going to complete the work that he began in you. And he reminds Joshua of this. To Joshua, he gives this promise here in Joshua 1 and verse 5. It says that no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And in verse 6, he goes on to say, Be strong and courageous. In other words, what God is saying to Joshua is, look, look, man, you got a season that's going to be hard in front of you. I know what I'm asking you to do. I'm here with you. 
I'm going to be right next to you. You can give your best, put every effort that you have towards this process, towards this path, but know this, I'm going to walk next to you. You don't have to be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Could you imagine what that felt for Joshua in that moment? To have the Lord say that to him? The relief that he would feel? Maybe you're jealous. Maybe you say, oh, I'd love for God to say that to me. Maybe ask. Many of you guys know that I'm a, a giant Notre Dame fan. Every year I go to one game. I look forward to it every single year. One of the things that amplifies my enjoyment about going to that game is that I, one of my friends that I go with is a Notre Dame grad. He's a Notre Dame grad. I like to say that he spent that kind of money on that school for my benefit, right? And so my friend, he has uh, a little bit more power to wield because of his status. He has a little bit more knowledge of the university and its infrastructure. He has, a, because of his status, he has a little bit more access to things that we leverage from time to time. But many of you also know that I'm a rule follower. And rule following for me doesn't come from what's illegal or legal. Rule following comes from what makes me comfortable and uncomfortable, right? If I'm uncomfortable, then I'm breaking some sort of law somewhere. But listen, when I'm with my friend Ty on the Notre Dame campus, he takes me to places that I could never have access to, places that if I went by myself, I, I wouldn't go, because I feel like I would be uncomfortable, I'd be violating some rules. He takes me parts of the stadium that I would never, <laughs> I would never walk down to the front row. I didn't have a ticket, I didn't have, but because he has a little bit more access, a little bit more power, I walk a little freer. I walk a little bit more courageously, a little bit stronger. And because he's my close friend, I know that he's not going to leave me. He's not just going to abandon me. And I'd like to think in some imperfect way, in a minimal way, I like to think of God in that way. That because of God, because of his power and his status and his authority, because he has said that you are his friend through Christ, that we can walk through difficult, scary things in our life. And we can walk a little freer into those things because we know that our king is with us. We know that his power is with us, his might is with us, his access is to it, with us. We can walk into very difficult situations with a lot less fear and anxiety because he is with us. Because he does make us that promise. In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes this verse to the church, to Christians like you and I. And he says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I certainly know that within this room that there are many of us who have had seasons where God felt as if he grew distant. Where you felt that God had abandoned you. That he wasn't there for you. And that feeling may be true. But it doesn't mean that he's not committed to you. He has said in his word over and over again that he is committed to you in the process that he began in you. And you have 
time and time again, moments in your life that confirm his commitment to you. And we see it over and over and over again in our scripture, God's commitment to us. And so friends, I just want to remind us today that one of the parts of this pattern is to take seriously God's commitment to you. Take seriously God's commitment to you. He's invested greatly in you. And the Lord has promised us that he will complete the work that he began in you. And so be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous in the midst of adversity wherever you go. It doesn't mean that things will work out the way that you want them when you want them. It just means that God will have his way and he will be committed to you and he will write a story that brings glory to his name and you get to be a part of it. And so we have a bit of a pattern that's building here in Joshua. Joshua is challenged by this calling. He goes and he does it. He takes seriously God's commitment to him. And then he grows in love with God's commands. And that is the pattern that we have to reduplicate. To grow to love God's command. Challenged in our calling taking seriously his commitment to us and growing to love his commands. Listen to what he says here in verses 7 and 8. He says, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. This command to not look to your left or look to your right, look at the Lord, is something that we see time and time and time again amongst God's people. God often says, says this to his people. Don't look over there Look at me. I know the chaos that's going on around you. I'm not concerned with that. I'm concerned with you looking to me because I have a path for you and I have a design for you and you need to focus on that more than anything else in your life. I want you to meditate on what I have said to you. I have put boundaries in your life. I have put limits in your life not to control you, but it might guide you and protect you and help you. And I've given you the institution of family so you can tangibly understand my heart to keep you safe. And it is in this that we find significance in life, meaning in life. It's a pattern. It's not a formula. And I say that because there's a guy named Job. There's a guy named Job who is faithful, loves God's word, Devoted to God, but yet we know Job's story. If you have read your Bible, you know about Job. If you don't read Job, Job is a faithful man that God allows to go through tragedy and hardship. He strips him of his family, of his land, of his work. We would go, that's crazy. He did this, this, and this, and God gave him this. God does things for his purpose and his design to bring glory to his name. But yet even Job, listen to Job in the midst of this, because Job speaks to this pattern 
This is what Job says in the midst of it. This is flourishing. Job says this in 23.12. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Job treasures in the midst of chaos. That is inner flourishing. That is what the Lord has given to us. We have access to it through him. Peace and hope and contentment in the midst of tragic circumstances. Despite all the tragedy, Job says, I love your word, God, and I treasure it more than food, more than my daily bread. Now, now think of this. How many of us have gone days without eating food? It is not a fun deal to do. Maybe you've done it by choice, or maybe you did, did it not by choice. Either way, you're affected by it. When I was a youth pastor, I had this crazy idea to take kids survival camping. And in my infinite wisdom, I thought, uh, you know what? We can survive on catching fish out of Lake Michigan from the shore. <laughs> and so I took, uh, I took packets of tuna fish, like, okay, emergency food. Uh, for some reason, packets of tuna fish sounded good and cans of ravioli, which don't make uh, carrying anything easy, right? We had a long hike. That was not fun. Uh, you, can't, you can't catch a fish out of Lake Michigan. Don't try, right? And so we are just... I don't know if you know this. High school kids don't like tuna. Uh, so it was a poor strategy to begin with. So we went through all the ravioli in the first two hours. <laughs> you can't eat all of it. And you know what happens? People get a little irritable, cranky, some attitudes are going on. People are just staying in their tents. We had one packet of tuna fish left over at the end of it. We dumped it into the sea and had a, like a moment where we released it back in the sea as some sort of ceremony here. <laughs> Combinate our journey. It affected them. Cranky. All we could think about on our way back to our car was the fact that we were starving. We weren't gracious with one another. We got in the car, and one of the kids said, hey, do you remember there was an old country buffet about 15 minutes back? And my hunger made me say this. That sounds great. I hadn't seen an old country buffet in a decade. I think there's probably a reason for that. And so we made this poor choice. Because we were cranky and irritable, we went to the old country buffet, and it was not a good decision. It was not a good decision. I knew it as soon as I took my first bite of food. You know, it is very rare for us to go six hours without food, let alone three days without physical nutrition from the food that we eat. And if we do, watch out. You know how you get when you get hungry. It affects us. And so here's this question. Why is it that we are willing to starve ourselves from spiritual food? Why is it that we think that we can go days and weeks and months and even years without digesting the spiritual nourishment that God has given to us in his word? Do you not understand that it affects you? Do you not understand the chaos that's created in your life because you don't know it? That you are making decisions in life and building habits not through what God deems to be flourishing and meaningful and good, but merely out of survival and impulse. 
God's word was given to us to eat much like we have food in our lives. It brings to us nourishment. And that is why we as a church are so concerned with this desire to anchor ourselves in the unchanging truth of God's word because truth has changed so much. But God's word has stayed consistent through the millennia. And it is inside of his design and his pattern that we find the flourishing in life that we so readily desire. And so this is the pattern that our good God has shown to us in Joshua. There's no guarantee, look, there's no guarantee that you follow this and it's gonna be just cotton candy and rainbows. But this is a pattern that puts us in a position where flourishing and meaning can be found greater, greatly that we would understand that God has called you to faith and you would commit yourself to that. He has called you to faith to be different. He has given you the eyes to see sin and darkness and brokenness in your life and the beauty of the gospel. And he did that for a reason. If you know that, if you can see it in day, God has spoken into your life. He has called you upwards to be like him. And know this, that God has committed himself to you. He will begin the work and he will finish the work in your life. Take seriously his commitment to you and grow in your love for his commands. That is the pattern that we see in scripture that God lays out for us. It is a good place for us to live. Uh, and I think the thing that it com communicates us to, to us the most is just the, the desperate need that we have for God in our life. God speaks stuff like this over and over in Scripture. Do you understand the deep need you have for a Savior to help you navigate this life? I hope you do. We pray that you do. And so look, if you're wanting to get into God's Word, we want to help you with that. If, if you need a Bible, there's Bibles right outside the doors there for you. They're free for you. We could talk to you about reading plans and other things like that, but grow to love His commands. It will go well for you in life. And so we're going to end our time today by speaking to God, confessing our hearts, crying out of our hearts, our desperation for him, our need for him. I'm going to join in a song that just speaks of his worth and his might. And so uh, I just want you to, to make that the prayer of your heart today. Uh, we're going to have a, a moment. If, if you need prayer, if some things are, are going tragically wrong in your life, if you're, if you're fearful and, and you don't feel the closeness of God, uh, you can't sense his commitment, know that we would love to pray for you, love to pray over you. And so as we close our time together, I'm going to ask you to stand and we'll sing to our Lord here in one last song.